2: Welcome to a special edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We are recording from Soldier Field as the Chicago Tribune Fantasy Football Draft Party. Derek Van Riper here with Kevin O'Brien and Jim Coventry, talking about all sorts of big topics. Like, if you haven't listened to a single podcast yet this season, if you just woke up and started your draft prep today, August twenty fourth, or possibly later, you know what do you need to know going into this season? So we're going to touch on some of the key questions from this draft season. Hopefully get a few sleeper picks from Kevin and Jim uh, along the way. Uh, Gentlemen, first and foremost, let's talk about just the way the draft board is different this year compared to the last maybe five years now where it's been very wide receiver centric throughout the first couple of rounds. I think we saw a resurgence with a lot of running backs cashing in some big seasons last year. The ADP we're seeing now reflects that. Running backs have been pushed up, and this looks like a draft board we might have seen 10 years ago, when it was really more of a running back-driven game. Uh, One big change, though, is Ezekiel Elliott getting suspended. He's going to miss six games as of right now. His appeal will be heard on Tuesday, August 29th, so whether that decision comes down quickly or in the days after, that remains to be seen. Kind of a big deal before... We actually have drafts in some cases, but you may have to make that decision this weekend. You know, where do you draft Ezekiel Elliott? So Kevin, we'll start with you knowing what we know right now for Zeke. How far does he fall? Because pre suspension,
1: he was a consensus top three pick and some people wanted him first overall. Yes. I'm glad he started with that. Um, I was actually kind of in that, that same boat where I liked him a lot at, right at the top, that number one pick um, last year, Uh, There was about a stretch of 13 games where 12 of them either at 100 yards or 96 or so. Um, So, you know, pretty much if you round that up, like 12 out of 13 with 100 yards, um, that's that's pretty tough to top. He's younger than those other two guys, uh, that being Bell and Johnson. So that all being said, um, I'm finding it pretty hard to drop him too far down my board. Uh, I I think that the top five wide receivers and four running backs or so. Um, I think they're all pretty safely ahead of him. Uh, but for me, I'm only really dropping him into like the second round. Um, fantasy football is a long season. There's not much advantage uh, in most leagues for getting the top seed. So as long as you can account for Elliott, um, you know, you maybe take uh, Frank Gore or Jacquez Rogers a little bit higher than you normally would, uh, you could still get away with taking Elliott in the second round. And I think that's about where I'm still considering him. Uh, Mainly in the teens, closer to 20 than 10. But depending on how much you like him, uh, I would certainly advocate not taking him. You can't really take him too high. So if we're talking 12-team league, you're thinking middle or back part of
2: round two with what we know right now. Jim, do you agree with the idea of taking Zeke that early? Uh, Is it a function of maybe just the running back pool thinning out?
3: really quickly this year with so much risk coming in the backs that would go after him? The floor does drop out on the running back class pretty quickly. What I always say is this, if you're in a league with really competitive people, strong owners, I don't think you could take the risk of drafting them very early because your odds of sneaking up on other teams and making the playoffs, you can go 2-4 and four to start the season, or 1-5, and, and you might not bounce back. In your more casual leagues, I totally think I'd do what Kevin does. I would draft him in the second round, knowing I can get players later in the draft who can easily help me dominate and get to a playoff spot, and then have the hammer of Elliott in the playoffs and ride it to a fantasy championship. But I do like your strategy, Kevin.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think especially, like, when he comes back, um, you know, he's going to want the ball. I think they're going to want to give him the ball, too. And he's going to be healthy. Everyone else is already pretty banged up. Um, I know his suspension essentially turns into kind of a seven-week suspension because they have a buy in there. Uh, But, again, yeah, like, like you said, if I'm confident in my abilities to kind of pick and choose and fill his spots, he's a guy that I really want in the fantasy playoffs when it really counts. I'm looking at
2: the My Fantasy League Best Ball ADP data from the past nine days. So, since August 15th, Ezekiel Elliott's average draft position is 15. So, he's still holding steady as an early second round pick, even in those cases. So, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of owners who are really afraid of what happens to running back once you start moving after round two. It, it's weird because I think it's a year where you could consider a zero running back strategy. And it's not actually zero running backs, it's just paying a lot less, you know, kind of taking your chances on the waiver wire in particular. For me, I'm more comfortable doing that in a PPR league, though. In a non-PPR league, the backs that come in on third down that catch passes, they're not that valuable. You're just getting yardage. They don't score a lot. But if you're catching four or five passes on a regular basis, getting 40 or 50 yards, plus the handful of carries those players get, you know, those are pretty useful players in PPR leagues, and they can keep you afloat until you find running backs that you like better. There's so much turnover at the position Year over year, health is always a problem. A lot of teams have ongoing job battles. You know, A team like Tampa Bay can burn through three or four running backs because Doug Martin opens the year in suspension. A uh, lot's going to turn over. You mentioned Frank Gore before, Kevin. He's not a player that I really want to have on my team, but you can get him for next to nothing. And even if he starts four games before he finally breaks down or before Marlon Mack takes over the job, you might actually do okay in those first few weeks, rolling with what looks like an undesirable running back.
3: Yeah, and I agree. And then also the Colts running backs. There are a number of late running backs, so I have fairly high. I mean, even a guy like Paul Perkins, he's going about 91 picks in the drafts. Well, he has a starting gig. He ended the season last four games. He had 4.2 yards per carry after a slow start. So even though the Lions don't, ha- I mean, I'm sorry, the Giants don't have a very good offensive line, they're going to spread it out this year. They added some receivers, Brandon Marshall, uh, the rookie Evan Ingram, the tight end will split out. And I think that's going to open up some lanes. So, like you're saying, there are players you can take later to fill that void. Kareem Hunt in the second preseason game. Spencer Ware got the first snap. Hunt saw the field the rest of the time, and he was tearing it up. He was amazing, both in the passing and the running game. So, you guys are right. There are plenty of good players you can grab later to fill the void. Yeah, Perkins, I
2: think, is, is interesting because the price is low. The Giants' offense could be pretty good. I mean, even with Eli Manning, the fading version of Eli Manning, leading that offense. Odell Beckham is premier receiver. They added Evan Ingram in the draft. They bring in Brandon Marshall. Sterling Shepard would have been a good number two. Now he's the third or possibly the fourth option. So they have a passing game with plenty of weapons. That should open things up. Lighter boxes for Paul Perkins could be uh, something we see. And they really didn't do a lot to fortify the position. They drafted Wayne Gallman out of Clemson. Kind of a late-round dart at best, and not really a guy you expect to push for snaps right away once the game starts to count.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right with you. Uh, when fantasy season kind of started, you know, a few weeks ago, I didn't, I didn't even really like most of the running backs outside of the top three. But after, you know, doing more research, uh, kind of like what, what Derek said, um, I mean, not that this is some genius foresight, but I really liked all those kind of rookie running backs early. And I think you've kind of seen people get on board with that too. Um, they've really kind of shot up. The, the cheat sheets over the last couple of weeks. Um, and even some of the other rookies, say like Joe Williams or Alvin Kamara, I think there's a lot to like there. It might not happen right away, um, but those are still really good investments in the later rounds. And again, other players that I think maybe not immediately can help you help with Elliott, but again, we're looking at the playoffs here. And by the end of the year, if those guys are seeing consistent 20 touches for their teams, these are the guys you want in the postseason.
2: So with the Elliott suspension, the big two running backs now at the top, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, often the first two picks in the draft in some order, even in PPR leagues, because both can catch passes. Uh, they're very dynamic backs. And Bell holding out until like September 1st, he said he's going to report after the Steelers' final preseason
3: game. Does that give you any pause at all with Le'Veon Bell? He's come back from multiple abs, suspensions and things, like that, and he's always hit the ground running. He's never lost a beat. He keeps himself in outstanding shape. And apparently it's in football shape as well because the way he's come back. So I have no apprehension with drafting him at the top of the board.
1: Yeah, no, I'm right with you. Um, For some reason, just Johnson gives me a little bit of pause this year. Uh, Like, I don't – I mean, Carson Palmer is kind of just a ticking time bomb. I mean, you kind of make the same argument about Ben Roethlisberger too. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, like you said – I don't think he he really doesn't need training camp to get in shape. Uh, he's not a guy that takes big hits and he you know, he's just he's done a little bit longer than David Johnson. I think that's probably a little bit why I'm leading his direction right at the top now. Yeah, in
2: situations where I have a first pick, I would take Le'Veon Bell. It hasn't come up yet. Uh, maybe it'll happen in the NFFC or something like that. Uh, and my my reason for that is Satan is Kevin's. Like I see Carson Palmer as a guy that could just be mediocre at this stage in his career. People look back at two years ago, they see the big numbers, and they think maybe there's one more season like that. The biggest difference for me is John Brown. John Brown's got the sickle cell trait. He's having a hard time returning from soft tissue injuries in his legs. For a burner receiver, a guy who's a really important deep threat like that to always be slowed by hamstring and quad injuries, takes a really dynamic player away. I know they've got J.J. Nelson, who can stretch the field as well. He's a smaller player than John Brown. He's not really suited for number two receiver duty behind Larry Fitzgerald. So I think that's another factor within that Arizona offense that makes me wonder if David Johnson sort of maxed out last year with his TD efficiency. The touches will be there, the yards will be there, but I worry that he's not going to score quite as much as he did last year. It's not going to be a bust, but just not the guy that I want with that first overall pick because I trust the Steelers' offense
3: more than I trust the Cardinals' offense. I wrote a piece that was a little controversial about a month ago. It was a blog piece for roto about David Johnson. And the reason I wrote it was I had the first pick in the draft. And I'm like, okay, let me just research this out. I'll make a good pick. Well, I looked at the end of David Johnson's season. After averaging 4.4 yards per carry over the first 12 games, 3.6 the last four. He broke down. That's exactly what happened. Now, he still scored touchdowns. And so that masked his inefficiencies. So fantasy owners were still happy. But they're talking about giving him a heavier workload than ever. Well, he already showed that he's going to slow down significantly, and now he's coming off a season of heavy touches. How do you return from that? He may not have a strong start either. We've seen many running backs not do so well the year after being overused.
1: Right, and he's coming off that injury, too, at the end of last year. I mean, he's definitely, like, that doesn't appear to be an issue now, but it's just kind of another... Another thing when you're trying to decide between those two guys, you know, you kind of got to boil it down to something minuscule, and that's that's certainly one, too, that, that I just don't think you can forget. Uh, it's not the ultimate determining factor, but it's certainly there. So as far as the
2: running backs go in the first two rounds, you got Johnson and Bell at the top. You'll see Devontae Freeman, LaShawn McCoy kind of go in the middle of the round, Melvin Gordon usually late in round one. Uh, then you go to Jordan Howard kind of at the one-two turn, Zeke even with the suspension there, Jay Ajayi, DeMarco Murray, and Todd Gurley. And that pretty much burns up the experience backs. before people are starting to draft rookies. And there are some really talented rookies in this class. It could be the kind of draft class we look back at in three to five years and say, that was one of the best groups of running backs we've ever seen. Now, we're notorious as fantasy industry people for being excited about rookie running backs because we think it's the easiest position to come in and play and have success right away. But Leonard Fournette, still going the earliest of the bunch, 24th overall in terms of his ADP. We're right at the end of round two of a 12-team league. But we're starting to see Delvin Cook move even further up the board. There's been a lot of interest in Cook because Latavius Murray missed a lot of time in this preseason with an ankle injury. You know, Cook looked really good at Florida State. He can catch passes. He's a good runner between the tackles. He has top-end speed. And Minnesota's a team that's going to have a pretty balanced offense, probably even run first more often than not if things are going well. So when you look at the rookie running backs, And I'm going to include Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey as part of the big four rookie running backs. How do you stack those guys up against each other? I mean, if we're talking a half-point PPR, kind of splitting the difference between the two
1: formats, who do you like the best of that group? Well, honestly, out of that four, just I'm going to start right off the bat. I like Fournette fourth. I think, I know he was the highest-drafted guy, but I really like all the upside of the other guys um, just a little bit more. And, you know, the... The con the common arguments with those other three players are yeah there's another you know there's another guy to take away carries for them but I mean I think Chris Ivory is just in that same like same boat as Latavius Murray where he's just as apt to take carries away I think um, so kind of pushing Fournette to the side then to start um, the two guys I'm most keen in on are McCaffrey and Mixon uh, McCaffrey I think like. Just taking him that high for the Panthers. Um, they they kind of don't really have a whole lot of playmakers. Um, I'm not a big Jonathan Stewart fan at all. He's just kind of a plotter. I really think they're going to get him involved in that offense, and he's going to kind of be their main weapon in short yardage. Uh, certainly going to catch a lot of passes. Uh, and then just Joe Mixon, like watching that guy last year, every week he's catching a pass at, like, let's call it the the 25-yard line and just taking it 75 yards down the sideline and housing it. And I think that, I mean, clearly he has his baggage, um, but, you know, that kind of more so affects how we feel about him as a person, I think, than it should as a fantasy player. And I think he would have been a surefire, like, first-round pick uh, without any of that off-the-field issues. So I know they have two really good backs, which is another, you know, another thing against him. But that guy's skills, I think, are going to be good enough by the end of the year to take the job all to himself.
2: Yeah, Jeremy Hill's had volume the last two years. He scores and doesn't do much yardage-wise, below four yards per carry in back-to-back seasons. If you draft Joe Mixon in the second round, you've drafted a player who pretty much every sports fan in America has seen on video punch a woman in the face. That comes with a lot of backlash, understandably so. If you're a team like the Bengals and you draft a player... In Joe Mixon in the second round, who's done that? You don't take that player on and not play him. Like just from a logic standpoint, like why would you draft him early? Right. Sub- subject yourself to all the scrutiny and not put him on the field and
3: let him do what he can do on the field. And I agree with that. What's troubled me in the preseason games is they're giving Jeremy Hill so much playing time. And I agree with you guys. If you're going to draft him, you're going to take that risk. You put him in. But Hill is getting a lot of touches, and I hope that changes. Now, in the preseason, Hill's been decent, and Mixon hasn't blown anybody away. I believe, like both of you, he has top-end talent, and how do you not put him on the field? I'm just concerned about Marvin Lewis making a good decision. But otherwise, if we were the coach, we know what we're doing. Get him in the ballgame, and we've got a winner. Of these rookie backs right now, I think Dalvin Cook has to be number one. And my reasoning is this. The, um, the Vikings now will have a mediocre line as opposed to a horrible line. They had injuries on top of depth problems last year. They've added a couple of linemen. The line, like I said, will be near average. But what, what um, Dalvin Cook has is he has the ability to make people miss. And when you have a situation with a decent line and you can create on your own, you're going to do very well. And the reason I don't think Latavius Murray gets much run at all is He was only at 4.0 yards per carry behind one of the best offensive lines in the league over each of the last two seasons. He cannot create on his own, and behind an average line, I don't see him having any opportunity to be a positive, even at the goal line. When you go from scoring touchdowns behind a great line and now trying to score behind a mediocre line, I think Cook has a better chance to find the end zone. With the other rookie running backs, my concern with McCaffrey is this. Cam Newton was rated out as one of the worst quarterbacks in the 0-5 to yard range of passing the ball. He was actually the last one of the starting quarterbacks. And I've always said he has uh, serious issues with accuracy in the short area of the field. He can get away with the deep pass because there's a lot more latitude in getting the ball to your deep receivers. I just don't think he throws a catchable ball in the short area of the field consistently, and I think that's going to cause problems. He's done well in the preseason with Derek Anderson throwing the ball. Anderson actually in that area of the field is a better quarterback just for the screen pass game concerns there. And then the last one of the group, Fournette, totally agree with what Kevin said. I think he's the last of the group. Maybe long term he becomes the best of the group, but this year I'm agreeing with you. I don't I think he's
1: number four out of the four. Yeah, and that team's just a mess right now. You know, like I don't really want anything to do with that.
2: Anything is possible. <laughs> I was told
1: yesterday. I don't know.
2: I mean, I'm looking at Fournette, and I I buy into the talent. I just don't like the situation at all. We saw Todd Gurley get a ton of volume in a bad situation last year. We got a pretty bad result from a guy that should be a top-five running back in the league. He's that talented. And this year might be a lot better for Todd Gurley. He's kind of an interesting bounce-back candidate. Funny thing is, he's not falling that far in drafts. Like People are pretending as though last year wasn't as bad as it was. Now, Jared Goff should be a lot better in year two. I know people are excited coming out of the uh, game last Saturday against the Raiders. They add Sammy Watkins via trade. That's a big deal, too, because you have a guy in the short and intermediate passing game who can do a lot of things and then make plays after the catch. Cooper Cup, also a guy underneath that Goff's already built up some rapport with. So new group of weapons, new coaching staff, too, with Sean McVay taking over, Jeff Fisher being out. There's a lot to like about the Rams' offense, and I think a Todd Gurley bounce back you know, makes sense. That's why he's going ahead of these rookie running backs, because there are questions with each of these players, mm-hmm. as you guys pointed out. I like McCaffrey a little more than you do, I think, Jim. I think I'm worried less about the Cam situation uh, because Greg Olson, running medium-range routes, produces a lot. And I think McCaffrey can run routes like a receiver. I don't think he has to catch passes the way most other running backs do. I think if he was only a guy that could roll out of the backfield, there might be more problems. But I think Cam also, with that shoulder injury, may have to work more on the short
3: passing game too. He may not take as many shots downfield. Yeah, I like that reasoning. I definitely can see that. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, and it'll be interested to see if he can become a little bit better of a passer. And he certainly might be able to pull that off. So it sounds like the the disagreement here amongst us
2: is with the first three. We all four net last. Uh, it's Cook versus McCaffrey at the top. And I think you like mixing a little more than, than we do, Kevin. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a Marvin Lewis thing where Marvin Lewis might just say, hey, Jeremy Hill's been great. Short yard, just goal line. I'm going to give him those valuable carries and... Suddenly, Mixon's value takes a hit, but I, I do like this group as a whole, and I think their ADPs are, for the most part, uh, actually pretty justified. Uh, as far as the middle and late-round rookie running backs, two kind of jump off the page to me. Samaje Pirine in Washington and Kareem Hunt, who Jim mentioned before, in Kansas City. Uh, the Chiefs traded up in the third round to get Hunt on draft day. They put him on the field with their first-team offense a lot in the second preseason game. Just looking at things like that, you get a feel that the organization, the coaching staff really believes in what Kareem Hunt brings to the table. The Chiefs are not going to be an explosive offense this year, but they're also a team that doesn't throw the ball a lot when they get inside the red zone. So whoever ends up leading this team in touches could emerge to have surprising amounts of value because they're going to get a lot of chances to run the ball in close.
3: And I'm glad you brought him up, Derek. Andy Reid's had a long history of when he has a running back that's a receiving and a running threat, he can make him a superstar in a hurry. I mean, think Brian Westbrook. And this is another opportunity where we just saw that little flash last week in the preseason game. But already Andy Reid's showing that he can utilize him as a two-way weapon. And when you have Hunt on the field, it gives the defense a bit of pause, not being sure if a run or a pass is coming. So that gives the opportunity for the offense to be a little more diverse. Spencer, where although he was a good receiver coming into the league, Andy Reid has not used him, so therefore he must, for some reason, not trust him in the type of passing attack he prefers. Yeah, whether that's a pass protection issue or something
2: else, you know, I, I'm not entirely certain, but that's just the way it's broken down uh, to this point. As far as Pirine goes, Kevin, he's got uh, Rob Kelly as the incumbent. Kelly was a guy this time last year nobody was thinking about uh, as anything more than a late dart in case something happened to Matt Jones. Well, something did happen to Matt Jones, and Fat Rob, as he's known, actually became a pretty useful fantasy player, especially in the middle part of the season. Tailed off a little bit late, uh, was earning some positive praise, I guess, reporting to camp, looking a little, a little more, I don't know, physically imposing without being heavier in a bad way, so more muscular, a little quicker. Do you buy into Rob Kelly as a guy that can keep the job, or do you think P. Ryan is a fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma Ultimately, takes over as the starter and emerges to have more value of those two backs over the course of the season.
1: Yeah, I think kind of both of what you just said there. I think uh, based on how the preseason's gone, um, doesn't really look like P Ryan is going to come in and you know be that top guy week one. Like Kelly seems pretty safe in that role. Um, but I mean, yeah, if you just you know go back and look at their college careers, like people didn't even know who Rob Kelly was coming out of college. Samaj P. Ryan, people saw every Saturday play. so saw him set the single game rushing record in college college football. So I think, yes, again, like I've talked about several times, later in the year when you get to the crunch time, I think P. Ryan's going to be your guy, and eventually Kelly will just fall off to the wayside. So when you guys are looking for value
2: at the running back position, how much does the quality of the quarterback play and the talent at the in the group of pass catchers, how much does that factor into your decision? Does that kind of break ties when you're moving through looking for depth pieces? Does it not really matter at all because offensive line play may matter a lot more? I mean, the examples I'm thinking of, uh, most specifically, would be like Cleveland. Offensive line is excellent. Isaiah Crowell is very expensive right now. do Do you buy into Crowell as a guy that goes off the board in the first 40 to 45 picks
3: and being capable of returning value from that spot? I think two years ago when he wasn't catching the football, he would have been a liability. But he caught like 30 passes last year. And he showed that he could handle the passing game well, pass protect, and also make yardage after the catch. So I think he is a two-way back for them. And if they're having it their way, Hugh Jackson's talking about splitting out Duke Johnson in the slot a little bit. So that may also indicate he wants both of them on the field. But last year... Crowell consistently showed the ability to make yards, and he's really good at making big plays when he reads his blocks and he gets upfield and squares his shoulders off really well. He's powerful and he's fast at a corner, and so I think that as long as you're not getting blown out, I think that he has a clear path to near 18 to 20 touches a game, and he should be he should be an outstanding breakout candidate beyond his 900 and change last year he had rushing.
2: Yeah, it comes down to whether or not he can score more, too. I mean, the efficiency yeah. was there last year. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser looks like he's in position to maybe be their week one starter. He's going to start the third preseason game. Things have to go pretty poorly for Hugh Jackson. That change his mind at this point. I, I like the idea of having a, a mobile quarterback, uh, a more dynamic threat in general on the field to occasionally make a big play with regard to opening some things up for that running game. But I think if I'm choosing between quarterback play and offensive line play, I'd rather have a bad quarterback and a good offensive line than the opposite with regard to taking a chance on a running back.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I, th- It's just, it's. I know this will cost me probably some pretty good players at some point, but I'm just very averse to kind of picking on those teams that just look brutal. I mean, like the Jets being one, I know, I mean, I think it's a lot like the 49ers last year where eventually, you know, some guys will have a couple of good games here and there, but these kind of, these players on these teams a lot kind of I see. I mean, like Allen Robinson, I think, is like one of the top examples of this where last year you, you drafted him really high, so you can't really cut him, and you can't really trade him for fair, fair value based on where he was drafted, but you also can't start him. So he's... Literally just taking up a spot on your roster, and you can't do anything with those guys. And just on a week-to-week basis, nothing is really more frustrating than that. So, I mean, I think on the whole, I'm trying to stay away from kind of those poor-looking offenses as much as possible. Um, but I do, I do think you're right, too, with the running backs where, like, better line definitely is going to get you further than a better quarterback would.
2: Yes, you have to, sometimes you have to choose, and, and that's one of the things bad teams either have a bad quarterback or a bad offensive line.
3: It's part of the reason why they're bad in the first place. Uh, and I one other thing, real quick. Yeah. So, well, I usually will weigh out each player on a case by case basis. There are so many differences. I like think some players at a bad line, it won't matter. But the one thing about the mobile quarterbacks, you talked about Kaiser. The thing I like about the running back with a mobile quarterback is he can take away the backside defender. And I'm going to move over a little bit to LaShawn McCoy for a minute. He had a career-high 5.4 yards per carry last year. A lot of that was not just because of the offensive line, but it was because of Tyrod Taylor. And the backside defender couldn't commit to come into the backfield because they had to worry about potential for a rollout. And it really opened up lanes. Mm-hmm. And Crowell, as you mentioned, Derek, could, can significantly benefit from Kaiser under center, even in a game when they're trailing. Because the whole dynamic game changes when you have a quarterback like that. So real nice point, Derek. Yeah, the, having
2: having that threat, like you said, it, it changes the X's and O's component, and that can increase the production a lot. McCoy as a first rounder. Some people are against it because of the career mileage. Some people are afraid because the Bills' offense could take a step back even from where it was last year. The counter argument to that is they didn't have Sammy Watkins at full capacity really at all last year. They missed him for a good chunk of the season, and there are plenty of games where he wasn't himself. He's playing on a snap count uh, limit, and, and with that, you just you don't get the same kind of over-the-top threat that you're looking for in the passing game. Are things going to be more difficult for LaShawn McCoy this year, or do you see it being kind of similar to what we saw a year ago with Tyrod Taylor back in Buffalo?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be pretty similar in terms of his situation. Yeah, I mean, Watkins has a lot of talent, but clearly wasn't the consistent you know, week-to-week impact player. They are hoping he was going to be. Um, so I think that, you know, that caused probably opposing defenses to not entirely, you know, focus as much on him as they should have. So that loss, I don't think they'll feel a lot. But kind of back to, um, like you were saying, Derek, with, um, where they just aren't... I mean, they're another team where I, don't, I just don't like their situation right now, too. And so... I'm not going to take McCoy off my board entirely, but I would probably take a guy like Melvin Gordon and Jordan Howard over him personally.
2: Well, I think there's one way I could just go completely
1: wrong. If Tyrod
2: Taylor gets hurt
1: or gets benched, and this organization
2: doesn't seem to like Tyrod Taylor as much as the fantasy community does, so there's the the possibility they just pull the plug and they roll out Nathan Peterman or TJ Yates instead, and there you go, where the defense can scheme a lot differently, can play with a heavier box, they can not have to worry about the quarterback running for 500 yards of the course of the season, and you just look at him as a, as a player that's a little bit extra risky because the situation around him is suboptimal. Uh, let's move on to some other topics here. Mid-round sleepers. Guys that are going like, after the first five rounds or so, where do you see excess value on the board right now? Jim, we'll start with you. I mean, you start thinking about like running backs and receivers in particular that are going after the
3: first 60 or so picks. Who do you like in that range? Who Right now, based on the very current last nine-day ADP, Amir Abdullah is going at pick 64. Absolutely love the guy. Two years ago, he played all 16 games, made it through healthy, and then he had the dreaded foot injury last season that shelved him for the season. But he was a durable guy in college, and he's very explosive. And a lot of people worry about Theo Riddick, but a lot of the coaches are starting to figure out, if you have a running back on the field that doesn't... Diagnose your plays if be run or pass, you're a little better off. And Abdullah is that weapon who can both be used as a runner and a receiver. And I know Riddick will still be on obvious passing downs, but I think Abdullah is in for roughly 18 touches a game. And he showed in his early career that he has that explosion that can make him a special player. And um, when you need that second running back, that laid into a draft, I think
1: Abdullah is an excellent value pick. I have, I have Abdullah listed too, so I'm right with you on that one. Uh, the two guys that really stand out to me, um, just right off the top, are both Titans, and they're not the guys you'd expect. Uh, this would be Rashard Matthews and Derrick Henry. Um, I think the Titans team is totally on the way up. I like Marcus Mariota a lot. Yeah, there's a little bit of an injury risk there, but they are another. They have a really good line. You know, the, this quarterback's improving. Uh, DeMarco Murray, I think, has a lot of mileage on him at this point. Yeah, he was good last year, but it could just fall off one of these years. And I think Derrick Henry, if for some reason Murray's hurt, I think Derrick Henry's a pretty easy top 10 running back. Uh, At the receiver position for them, of course, Corey Davis and Eric Decker are kind of the the name guys there. Um, Decker really hasn't done that much outside of a couple amazing Peyton Manning years in his career. Uh, Corey Davis, he's got all the skills. He's also, you know, he's a small school receiver. And so I just I, – I have a hard time seeing him coming in and just kind of, you know, being that instant impact player. So Matthews and Mariota at the end of last year really showed a good connection, uh, and I think that carries over into this year. Um, one more guy besides those two uh, it was going to be Tyler Lockett. He was going in, like, top four or five rounds last year. Um, really fell off because of his injuries and production, I think. Russell Wilson's injury actually affects Lockett, too, because Lockett's kind of a guy that, um, you know, on those broken plays, Wilson's running out there, and he's a guy that he's going to be able to hit. So he's coming in this year healthy. Uh, He's still really young. He's a dynamic player, and I'm not taking him, you know, as high as I was last year, just uh, based off this year. But sixth, seventh round, he's a guy that could give you a lot of impact. And Tyler Lockett's
3: going 162 picks into a draft. He's a second, 60-second receiver off the board. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you, you, most leagues, I would imagine, you could get him – at least 12 rounds and after. Yeah. Unless, again, you're some real sharks, in which case you may, like you said, want to draft a little bit earlier. Yeah. I just want to add one more name. Um, Devontae Parker. And Since we're in Soldier Field, we'll talk about Jay Cutler just for a second. And as soon as Cutler went there, the first thing I thought, well, he locks on his alpha receiver in the first preseason game. The numbers didn't show it. He had one catch, mm-hmm. but he targeted him downfield a couple times, had a play callback by penalty. It's real apparent that Parker is going to be his guy. Cutler kind of talked him up too, say he's a faster version of Alshon Jeffrey. But that that's a real legitimate opportunity there. And Devonte Parker's going about 79 picks into a draft as a 33rd receiver off the board.
2: Yeah, Parker's a lot more dynamic than Jarvis Landry by comparison too. So you're kind of just waiting for the number one receiver title to be passed in that Miami offense. This could be the year uh, with Jay Cutler taking over at quarterback there. Uh, Martellus Bennett is a player for me who's under drafted right now. I mean, going into Green Bay, they've missed Jermichael Finley for a few years. We saw some flashes last year when Jared Cook was on the field. Bennett's much more dynamic than Cook. There's so many weapons right now on the field in Green Bay that Bennett's going to have a lot of opportunities, especially in the red zone where he's getting very little attention uh, from opposing defenses. So I love going after Marty Bennett uh, if you happen to miss out on the top five, top six tight ends because you might get that kind of production from him uh, on a week-to-week basis. What about Tyrell Williams? Why is he not going firmly inside the top 100 in ADP? I mean, Mike Williams is going to miss some time this year, maybe even miss the whole season. We really don't know with that back injury. And we saw Tyrell Williams step up as a true number one receiver with Phillip Rivers in that Chargers offense a year ago when Keenan Allen went down. So while Allen's back and they still have the two tight ends, I think people are overlooking what Tyrell
3: Williams did last year and maybe under-projecting what he's going to do this year. I honestly think that people made an early decision on him when Mike Williams was drafted. I think people right away said, all right, we got Keenan Allen, we got Mike Williams, and even Travis Benjamin in the slot. Last year was his first year, acclimating to a new team. And so I think people just legitimately moved Williams out. But people weren't taking the time to rethink it. And so the way you're framing this is correct. Well, Mike Williams isn't around, and he's missed the reps to get the chemistry with Phillip Rivers, and so he is that guy, Tyrell Williams, who he was in the second half of last season, in a heavy pass office. They want to run, but they end up throwing the ball frequently. And it's obvious Phillip Rivers trusts him, so I agree. Tyrell Williams is going as a steal right now. He's getting drafted as the 41st receiver. I have him a full 10 spots higher. I have him as a 31st receiver. Yeah, so I, I like Williams a lot as
2: a mid-round guy that can produce earlier round value. Uh, The other player that I'm pretty intrigued by based on the ADP is Duke Johnson. We're talking about the things we like in the the Cleveland offense. I think Duke Johnson's a more dynamic player than Crowell. He's even a better pass catcher than Crowell, a little smaller, so that's maybe where the concern comes in and why Crowell's there in tandem with him. But if Isaiah Crowell were to get hurt or to go through a stretch where he struggles, it's pretty clear when you hear Hugh Jackson talk about Duke Johnson, how much he likes him. For his versatility, he'll line him up in the slot he do all sorts of different things just to get the ball in his hands
1: Yeah, the numbers are there The last couple of years he's been among the leaders um, For running backs and past receptions um, So With that being said, yeah, you know I like him in more in PPR leagues than in regular leagues But I'm also not really A big believer in Crowell either um, So Johnson's certainly a guy I've got kind of highlighted as uh, you know, That mid-round sleeper category
2: so let's shift the focus finally to some bust potential. We're going to look at some early round players that uh, may fall short of expectations. I know there's been some concern with Julio Jones. The nagging injuries might pile up. and you know, Some some people think he might fail to return value as a guy who's got a top 5 ADP right now. Are either of you guys fading Julio
1: Jones completely from that price point? I can't totally just fade him out of there. Um, I mean, I'm I've, I've, coming into draft season, I thought it was a pretty clear big six, uh, you know, three running backs, three receivers, him being that third receiver. Uh, I think maybe I would be a little more likely to take Mike Evans over Julio. I don't know if that's totally, you know, founded or not, Uh, but I can't really drop him below fourth on the receiver list just given his upside.
3: Absolutely agree with that. Kevin's steady near the top of the list. And that grouping of Evans, Green, and Julie, Julio, They're all equal, and they're interchangeable. So I I agree with you, Kevin, on that. Looking at the the later
2: part of the first round, Devontae Freeman coming off a big year, kind of shared some of the workload with Tevin Coleman, just got a
1: big contract. Atlanta offense should still be good. Do you see any bust potential there? I think that offense is still pretty dynamic. Um, I mean, they they get a lot of mileage out of that short passing game to their running backs, too. Um, And he's not really a guy that I saw take a lot of big hits all that much last year, so... I think he's probably right around in, in, that, in that spot, right around the end of the first round and into the second round.
3: And he's so dangerous in the red zone, whether as a receiver or a runner. So I really don't see much in the way of bust potential. The usual injury stuff, but that's every player. Other first rounders, Melvin Gordon, Jordy Nelson, Michael Thomas, any reason to be concerned about any of those three guys? Both. Melvin Gordon for me. Um, Melvin Gordon was under four yards to carry last year. I really don't like to draft an ordinary player in the first round. His yards per carry should have been much better. He was touchdown dependent. And after his rookie year, he had zero touchdowns, I believe, if not one. But then he came back with a vengeance. Well, the, they were getting the ball deep in the red zone. They weren't throwing down there. And I just thought that it was kind of quirky how he ended up with 3.9 yards per carry, but yet he was a great fantasy player until getting hurt late in the season. And so that's why I can't invest a high pick in Melvin Gordon.
2: I can see Melvin Gorman being the kind of guy that goes at like the 2-3 turn next year, where he's not the kind of guy that's going to ruin your season, but you're also going to be kind of disappointed relative to your expectations when it's all said and done. I think the thing that makes him sort of safe is, I do expect the Chargers to throw the ball so well. Those TDs that he was so dependent on last year, they're probably still there, but the efficiency may still be an issue. Uh, looking ahead, now I'm going to read off names. If you guys think one of, these, one of you thinks these guys are going to bust, just buzz in. We don't have actual buzzers, but just <laughs> indicate that you want to... Uh, to get in, uh, Aaron Rodgers. I assume no one's calling a bust on Rodgers. Jordan Howard. No, you oh. guys both like Howard. Over five yards per carry last year. Situations no worse this time around. Maybe even better if the quarterback play. Yeah, uh, he, he improved
1: a lot last year. He looked really good. Mm-hmm. Jay Ajayi. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a huge question mark for me. I know. Um, I know Rotowire has him really high in the rankings. I would not touch him there. He's probably more of a, like you were saying, about maybe Gordon next year, that second, third-round guy this year.
3: Ajayi was under three yards a carry in almost half of his games down the stretch. Once it was figured out that Miami was going to be a run-first team and defenses made the adjustment, Ajayi really struggled to get yards except for against the Bills, so he crushed for 200 yards the second time around as well. And in the playoff game against the Steelers as well. He wasn't at three yards of carry. And they're going to go into the season as a run-first team, and defense are going to approach it that way. And what we don't talk about much is he apparently still has that bone-on-bone condition, which made him drop in the draft. And that's also something to consider, that with a heavy workload, it could be problematic as well. Yeah, I think he's a Dynasty
2: League asset you move right now because you're going to max out the value. I can't imagine a price on J. at the draft table in 2018 that's any higher than what it's at uh, right now. Behind Ajay, we have Amari Cooper. You guys see any bust potential with Cooper? No, he's a guy I like. Yeah, very little has changed about the way they've got that set up. Maybe the red zone targets flip more in his favor and things could go up a little bit value wise if he ends up getting more looks than Crabtree in those spots. Uh, DeMarco Murray, I think you mentioned earlier you really like Derrick Henry at KOB. So with that, I assume you're fading Murray as a, a kind of a mid second round pick.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm going to take other guys there. So he's pretty much off my board. Uh, again, like for the same reasons I like Henry, that's probably the same reasons that someone could make an argument for Murray. Uh, but I can, I'm kind i kind of just going to bank on this as the year he's starting to decline.
3: All right. How about Gronk? You guys on Gronk this year? I definitely am. Now, I'm not aggressively seeking him out, but if he falls to the end of the second round and there's not a running back or a receiver I like there, I will take him. Earlier in his career, he had a number of full 16-game seasons – And so he's had some freakish injuries, but I don't think over the course of his career, he's been what we call injury prone. It's not like he misses games every year. We have the recency bias, and that causes the bigger issue. But for a guy who can dominate your fantasy team, and with the offense New England has right now, and I won't go on too far of a tangent here, they're going to be so multiple on offense, defenses will no longer be able to key on Gronk. They'll have to cover him, but they won't be able to blanket him like they have in the past. And he could even have a better touchdown season than some of the amazing
1: ones he's put up in the past. Yeah, he, I mean, it wasn't that long ago he was going in, the, like, the first round in a whole lot of drafts. Um, I think he's still by far the, the best upside player at that position. I mean, you could probably make an argument for Jordan Reed, another guy in this injury kind of question, you know, who really knows what you're going to get out of them. But, yeah, I'm, I'm still on Gronk, I think. If you lock up tight end there at the end of the, the second round, you're looking good. And even if you want to kind of get get tricky later on, take Dwayne Allen. As you know, you don't really see tight end handcuffs. But New England loves two tight ends. And kind of as your last pick, that would be a really good way to just buffer that right away. Yeah, you have basically another top ten tight end if Gronk goes down right there on your bench. A lot of backup tight ends
2: don't bring that kind of upside. Uh, Todd Gurley... In that range, I kind of like him, as I mentioned before, as a bounce back candidate. I think the setup has improved enough to where he's kind of the last safe ish running back in that tier.
3: I see every point that you guys made, and I can't really dispute it, but I can't, and I'm going to use this word I can't unsee what I saw last year. (laughs) There were plenty of times where I saw an opening and he didn't hit it. And their line still isn't good, but until I see him, get back to the form that I may have anticipated. And even his rookie year, he was a little big play dependent. And it's one of those things I always say, you can fool the league for a while. But he didn't finish strong in his rookie season. He came out in the middle of the season, came out like gangbusters. But his last few games weren't that strong either. And so, like I said, I can't dispute what either of you said, and I totally could support taking him where he's going. But what I saw last year, I can't unsee. Fair enough.
2: Uh, last couple picks going in the first couple rounds, we've got Des Bryant. With health, I think he's fine. He's probably mm-hmm. under-drafted right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at T.Y. Hilton, that looks like a huge bust potential because of Andrew Luck and the uncertainty with Andrew Luck's
1: shoulder. Yeah, I've kind of flipped. I, w- I got Hilton on many teams last year. I was targeting Luck, too, but just Luck really got beat up last year. I mean, Since, since I had those guys on so many teams, I watched a lot of Colts games. And he just took big hits, and I don't really see that changing a whole lot. I mean, he's already banged up now. Um, I mean, if Scott Tolzine's going to be their quarterback, there's, that's not going to lead to a lot of fantasy success for their skilled players. Yeah, I think Tolzine's going to be dumping it off a lot, and Marlon Mack's the kind of player that might emerge to have a lot of
2: extra value. Jack Doyle might be okay as the tight end, but I think Hilton gets hurt a lot if luck misses significant time. Brady's going at the end of round two right now at MFLs. I don't really see any argument against him. Age, but he's still playing at a crazy high level. And then Leonard Fournette closes out the second round. I mean, we talked about him earlier as a guy that volume is great, but the quality of those touches could be very low due to things that are completely
3: out of his control. Can I add something about Brady for a minute? I think this could be an an historic season for him. And here's what I see. So the Patriots now, they bring in Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis is now healthy, and they have cooks in. They have a their running backs are both dual threat. Their two tight ends can both block and catch, and they have multiple receivers that can do every type of route they need. They may have come up with an indefensible offense. They've come close to it before, but I think by adding those versatile running backs in on, on non-obvious passing downs, I don't know how a defense defends them. In the second preseason game, I saw Burkett on the field. And Brady made his drop back. Nobody covered Burkhead. Hit him for a touchdown pass over the middle of the field. And it it was because the defense couldn't account for all the multifaceted weapons they have. And I will never predict this number, but I easily could see Brady in a scenario where he hits 50 touchdowns again.
1: Yeah, just the Patriots as a whole are going to be very interesting this year. I mean, I I think everybody... Everybody kind of that looks like it's going to play a role in their offense is getting high marks in the fantasy community now. Um, Clearly, a lot of those guys are going to hit, but let's see how consistent they're going to be on a week-to-week basis too.
2: The last thought here before we call it a show, Brandon Cooks going after T.Y. Hilton is crazy to me. Brandon Cooks is going to just feast in this offense. He was going in the first round a year ago in the Saints offense, volume could actually go up. Even if it doesn't, the efficiency is probably not going down. What, what am I missing with Brandon Cooks? Why why is he going behind T.Y.
3: Hilton in ADP? With Drew Brees, and I am i don't have the number with me, I don't think he topped 1,350 yards. And I don't know that the jump from Brees to Brady is that great. That they're, that the Patriots would do more with him than Brees did. That was Brees' go-to guy. You can't say in my opinion that cooks will be the go-to guy I, there's still Gronk there there's still edelman to get some work and i think there will be weeks where cooks will get his i just don't know that he'll ever be the feature guy and i don't know besides some long touchdowns he is not going to be the primary target in the red zone much at all i don't think i think it's still going to be Gronk and the running backs out of the backfield but cooks being a smaller guy i think he's gonna be more big play dependent this year I think his overall numbers, you're right, Derek, his overall numbers are going to look really good, but I think there's going to be a lot of just lean weeks because that's
1: not where they choose to go with the ball. Yeah, I think he's definitely one of those guys I was kind of referring to where he'll have 150 and two touchdowns maybe one game, but then go three weeks and kind of let you down a little bit. But at the same time, based on everything I've said before, I would take him over Hilton at this point. Just I think Hilton's very risky with the luck. Yeah,
2: I completely agree with you on the, the Luck Hilton thing, and I think with Cooks, the the production could be lumpy, but if Julian Edelman gets hurt, especially that happens a lot, mm-hmm. that target volume ticks up a little bit because, and I know Brady Edelman, that's a pretty consistent you know role for Edelman, but I'm a little a little hesitant to invest in Edelman this year. I think that's what's making me a little more aggressive with Brandon Cooks. That's going to wrap things up for this episode. Again, thanks to the Chicago Tribune for inviting us to their fantasy football draft party here at Soldier Field. Be sure to check out that event. Hopefully we'll see it back again in 2018. This is the first one that we've been a part of. It's the first one they've done. So hopefully uh, we'll get to do this again a year from now. Jim, Kevin, thanks for joining me today and uh, enjoy the evening.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?